Welcome to the Polygamer Podcast, where gaming is for everyone. Join us as we expand the boundaries of the gaming community. Hello, and welcome to the Polygamer Podcast, episode number 88 for April 10th, 2019. I'm your host, Ken Gagney. Just two weeks ago, I was at PAX East 2019, the 10th annual PAX East to be held in Boston, Massachusetts. And for the seventh year in a row, I was honored to have the privilege to moderate a panel of fantastic speakers. This year, I moderated two panels. One was called The Return of Couch Play, about the rise in popularity of offline multiplayer as an alternative to games like PUBG, Fortnite, and Tetris 99. The audio and video of that panel, featuring me and five indie game developers, can be found at gamebits.tv slash paxcouch. The other panel featured me and four artists who use video games as their inspiration to make arts and crafts, whether it's a scarf, a shirt, a birthday cake, a mural, or a pillow. The audio of that panel, called The Art of Craft, Inspiring Game Creations, is what you're about to hear on this week's episode of Polygamer. The video can be found at polygamer.net. I'm thankful not only to these panelists who volunteered to take time out of their busy pack schedules to share their knowledge, insight, and expertise with the audience, but also with everybody I met at Paxis, including new friends and future Polygamer guests who you'll be hearing from on future episodes. In the meantime, please enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to the Art of Craft, inspiring game creations. How many people here make their own crafts based on video games? How many people want to be able to make their own crafts based on video games? Yeah, it's such a great time. I mean, especially if you're like watching a Let's Play or something, your hand's got to be doing something, so might as well pick up some crocheting or knitting. And I have a wonderful team here of individuals who do this for fun. They make scarves, pillows, blankets, wallpaper, cakes, etc. And we're going to be talking today about how they go around doing all this, how they use video games as their inspiration, uh, the challenges and opportunities they face, and how they got started doing what they do. So let's go down the line and introduce our panelists, starting on the... Far right here, we have Chris Gonzalez, a.k.a. Gonzo, of Dapper Pixo. Hey, Gonzo. Hey, how's it going? So what is it that you do, sir? Uh, create video game-inspired T-shirts and little goodies along the side as well. Nice. And I have a couple of your examples here. You can see on the TV in front of you as well. Uh, these are some of your, the shirts that you've made, right? Correct, yes. And you work with another organization as well, in addition to Dapper Pixel? Uh, past couple of years, I was helping out... Uh, the Boston Festival of Indie Games with their t-shirts as well, um, coming up with their yearly designs. Nice. And what does this kickstart me? Are you currently raising funds? No, this, this was, uh, not at the moment. I am working towards another line, but this, um, these images were from the Kickstarter I had a couple of years ago to kickstart the Nintendo inspired t-shirts. Um, so came out with pins as well to go along with it. But, um, yeah, that was successful and, Sold out of all of those. <laughs> nice. Congratulations. How long have you been doing this? Ooh, five years. I that's the quick answer, but I'd, I'd have to double check again. <laughs> Is this your full-time gig? Uh, no, I do have a full-time job. as uh, I work as a project manor, manager at an architecture firm. Um, and then this is the love side of things too, where I just enjoy creating, um, t-shirts and designs for video games. You do it for the love of it. Exactly. Yeah. Fantastic. And I also, you also sent me some sketches here. Are these future ideas for shirts? Uh, so I have done some Gears of War t-shirts. I did some for Saints Row and other video games. Uh, usually this is how everything starts. Uh, start with my little sketchbook, little thumbnails from there. Um, and 
once something clicks, I keep going. And yeah. Awesome. Thank you. And going down the line immediately next to me here is Johanna Shaw. Uh, you went, go by the title Jill of All Crafts of the Shaw Asylum. And you make a variety of items. I have something here. This is some game-based jewelry that you made uh, based on Scrabble. And you also have some dice. And full disclosure, this is one she actually made as a commission for me, a Triforce pendant. So, and other media as well. Monopoly, you do quilting a lot. You do, you do a lot of quilting. I used to do a lot of quilting. Quilting takes time, which I don't have as much of anymore. Why is that? Oh, you know, grad school, three kids, yeah, life. <laughs> so this keeps you busy. Everything keeps me busy. <laughs> so full disclosure, Joe is actually what inspired me with the idea for this panel because I was visiting her house and she made entire room of her house look like the forest temple from The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. So she, so she has painting, she has wallpaper, she has decor. And Just the video game room. Yeah, and the theme of video games in general doesn't stop with that room. Her kids are growing up in a Mario room, so wallpaper, a quilt. Did you make that quilt? Uh, no, that's just a blanket I bought. It's not wallpaper. I actually uh, painted all of the mural on there. Wow, that yeah. is a handcrafted mural. Wow. And I'm going a little out of, out of order here, back into the Zelda room. Uh, it's Christmas time always in your house, right? And it was when the picture was taken. <laughs> And is this another painting? That's actually a puzzle. I put it together and it was the exact right size to fit into the inside of that door for that cabinet. Nice. Yeah. And, and so you, what's the word when you make something, like that puzzle's not going to fall apart. Oh no. Yeah. I used like puzzle saver and glue and saved it all together. And then I laid the cabinet down on its back, put the puzzle on and glued the crap out of it, put wax paper, paper over top in case glue seeped out and just loaded up old textbooks on top to weigh it down till it dried. That's awesome. Thank you. Let's see, and then I'll save myself for last. Going next on the, oh wait, these are yours, right? Yes. Adri, hi Adri. So you are local as well, Johanna. Uh, wait, Chris, where are you from? Uh, born and raised here, but my father's from Puerto Rico. My mother's from Ecuador. Cool. Hi. So, uh, so most of us are local. Adri, you are also uh, from these parts. Why don't you introduce yourself? Um, I'm Adri. I mostly make jewelry. Sorry. Um, Non-game crafting. I do a lot of like cards, like paper piecing. Um, a lot more other jewelry, but we're mostly just focused on my game stuff. Nice. So this is Zelda 64, right? No, this is actually, a lot of my work is based on my own video games. This is for a game called um, Discover the World. It's based on Lich, the MMO. Oh, I didn't know that. So, yeah. And you also have, this is Dragon Quest. Yes, that's Mad Jackie. One of my favorite RPGs of all time. Mine and and I, I recognize this guy, but I can't place this him. This is also my personal logo. Oh. My video games. Um, the font is um, the Infocom font, and then the Tiny Ninja is my logo. Excellent, because Infocom, of course, making text adventures right in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Yep. And you're very involved with the local text adventure scene. Yeah. As well as Women in Games Boston. Yes. Very good, thank you. And who's this guy? Cave Story. It's from Amiga. Cave Story, nice. And then you have your own logo again. And, and that is for, I don't remember the name of the game, but it was Gradient Studios. Um, so there was another local game dev community. Um, game development team that made um, a game called Collide, I think it was, actually. And that was their logo. Nice. And Bubble Bobble, yes. one of my all-time favorite games. And is this Tetris? Yes. And is this a different medium from this here? Well, one, the first one is magnets, so they're blocks. They're, they're each individual um, blocks. I glued them together in, to make the tetronomers, um, and then painted them and added magnets. And, and then the other one is cross-stitch. And then you cross-stitched it. Awesome. 
Thank you. And then finally, last but not least, Roberto Hoyos, who, full disclosure, I recently backed your Kickstarter. <laughs> Thank you. And received in the mail my classic Apple pillow that you made. <laughs> so this is an entire, several generations of Apple products here. I, of course, have the iconic 1977 Apple IIc pillow, <laughs> which I absolutely adore. Very high quality. Thank, Thank you. Thank you very much. So uh, beyond that, introduce yourself. Yeah, my name is Roberto Hoyos. Uh, I own a company called Throwboy. We make uh, designer throw pillows inspired by the stuff people love. So we have lines like that, uh, which was a big success on Kickstarter, all kind of tech-based, retro tech, I guess. Uh, we're doing some video game-inspired pillows. Um, but I started the company 10 years ago by hand-sewing pillows in my basement um, that looked like computer icons and sort of found my niche and people really loved it. So I started just kind of branching out and making anything people like into a nice quality, cool pillow that is like cool home decor. Um, and yeah, Throwboy has like been my whole thing for the past decade. Shall I show them the pillow you're coming out with soon? Yes. I have a teaser right there too. <laughs> yeah, that's coming out. Uh, actually, day after tomorrow, we're going to have that on the website to buy. Um, and it's just throwboy.com. Wise marketing to not release it on April Fool's Day. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I, I Sometimes I forget, and I do accidentally <laughs> release things on, like, Halloween or something, and then I'm like, oh, shoot. <laughs> and you also have a podcast, right? Right, yeah. So I also host a podcast called That Thing You Made, which is a podcast basically about... Um, turning art into products. Uh, a lot of my friends are other creators that have their own businesses. So we kind of got together, me and my friend Dennis, um, and we started a podcast basically about how do you take something that you love to make and market it and turn it into something that people can buy. Um, and so that comes out every week. Uh, that thing you made is what it's called. And you flew in from the West Coast for this event? Yes, I'm here from Seattle. It's my first time in Boston. Your city's awesome. So, uh, thank you. <laughs> it's been cool. Yeah, today was very windy, though. I wasn't prepared for that. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming. Thank you. So, and then there's me. I am Ken Gagne, your host. I make art that is not physical. I host the podcast Polygamer, where I interview diverse voices in the games industry. And I co-host the podcast Transporter Lock with my lovely captain right here, Sabriel Mastin. Uh, it's a weekly show all about Star Trek. And I also host the YouTube channel GameBits. And then I actually, I do have a physical print magazine, and not a PDF, but an actual paper magazine that you hold about classic Apple computers, which is why I love that pillow so much. Uh, but I myself am not making arts and crafts of this sort. I have tried, and it did not end well. <laughs> and I was not raised in a house where that sort of thing was taught or really available. And I, I wouldn't even know where to start if I were to do that today. So I'd like to know where each of my panelists acquired these skills. Like, when and where did you start, and how did you branch out? Why don't we start going the other way with Roberto? Well, my grandmother taught me how to sew when I was uh, very little, like four or five years old. Um, she was a seamstress by trade. Uh, she was one of the first employees at REI, which is like a huge company now, but she was one of the beginning employees of that outdoor apparel company. Um so when I was really little, uh, it was just something I acquired because I didn't really think it was out of the ordinary to be able to sew, I guess. And um, I would sew, like, 
clothes for my teddy bears and stuff like that. I didn't use that skill very often. I just, if I needed to mend something, but then um, I ha came up with the idea to make pillows that look like computer icons and that turned into what I do now. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that's kind of where I began. Awesome. Thank you. What about you, Adrian? Um, so most of my work these days is in shrink plastic. Um, so it's most of us have played, have played with that as like little kids. Um, it's still around. It's still a thing. Um, so it's mostly shrink plastic and just a little bit of drawing. Or frequently I'll print out, I don't even have to like draw because I'm a terrible drawer. I'll print out a picture of what I want and then like trace it. So I totally cheat that way. Um, yeah, that's most of it. I've just been, so I've, really I've just been doing that forever. Wow. So. When you say shrink plastics, is that what I would refer to as shrinky dinks? Yes. Great. I love shrinky dinks. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. What about you, Joe? You are a master of so many media. Or a mistress, sorry. <laughs> I don't know if mistress is quite right, but I tried a lot of things and succeeded for the most part. Um, unlike you, I did grow up in a house where crafts were a thing. My mom did all sorts of different crafts, so I was exposed to a lot. Uh, like I grew up being dragged to craft shows and we would reverse engineer things and figure out how to do them better or cheaper or things like that. Um, so it was always just kind of second nature. I think it made me not afraid of it. Like I have a fr good friend who says she's allergic to Michaels. Like if she needs to go in there because her kid wants to do something, she needs me to go with her as a tour guide. Um, and that was just not my experience in life. That's awesome. And you have branched out into multiple media. Like I've seen the Mario Kart birthday cakes that you bake for your kids and the wallpapers and the murals that you make, were you taught all those things as a kid or you just sort of got the concept of how to learn art? I watched a whole lot of HGTV and so I've seen like a whole slew of, like my first quilt I made, um, you know, the Monopoly quilt up earlier, I think, that was the first quilt I ever did. Um, that was an answer to my husband, boyfriend at the time had made me a giant teddy bear for my birthday when we were first dating. So this was my present to him for our first anniversary when we were dating because I had to top it because I'm slightly competitive. <laughs> um, so I had watched a TV show on how to do quilts and I already knew how to sew. So I was like, well, how hard can that be? And just <laughs> did it. Awesome. And so you've never, because I remember at one point you were interested in pursuing this professionally. You actually got into a school program, but you don't actually have formal education on this. No. Kids happen instead. Right. <laughs> and they just disrupt everything in a wonderful way. Sure, we'll go with that. <laughs> Gonzo, how did you get into shirts? Where does this art come from? Um, so as a young kid, I drew a lot. I just enjoyed drawing, making posters, and putting them all over my wall. Um, and then uh, around the time the Super Nintendo came out was probably when I had my own first console. So started drawing more video game stuff, more computer uh, comic stuff. Uh, and once I got out of high school, the, uh, sorry, college, that's when the, our recession hit. So it was a hard time finding a job in my field at the time. So to kind of fill the creative void, I just started creating stuff and went with it and started Dapper Pixel to do t-shirts and video game inspired stuff. So I was big into Street Fighter, big into Super, uh, Super Metroid and all that. So just kept going from there. Awesome. Thank you. I'm very jealous of all your backgrounds. <laughs> Uh, I have many more questions for you. There will also be time for Q&A. If you want to tweet questions during the panel, I'll be monitoring the hashtag PaxCraft. It's in the uh, lower right corner there. So I'll be monitoring that stream if you have any questions for our panelists. Some of you work in multiple media. Uh, and I'm curious, when you have something that you want to make, what comes first? Is it you're saying, I want to make a shirt, I want to make a cake, what video game would be a cool inspiration? Or do you see something like Bubble Bobble or Monopoly and you say, 
how can I turn this into something real? So which comes first, uh, Joe? It depends on the project, really. Um, a lot of, well, years ago it would be more, oh, I saw a Monopoly thing and I wanted to figure out what I could make out of it. Uh, now it's more like, okay, what have my kids demanded of me? <laughs> <laughs> what do your kids demand of you? Uh, well. Relevant to this panel. <laughs> uh, my middle one's turning seven <laughs> next week and he wants a Mario Kart themed birthday party. Conveniently, also my oldest for that same birthday, did a Mario Kart theme, and I saved all the stuff, so that was easy. <laughs> cool. They and ask me for shirts all the time, too. Like, there have been times, days when I've woken up, and they've been like, oh, I need a shirt that says this for today, and it happens. <laughs> I know a guy who does shirts. <laughs> Just saying. Uh, what about you, Adri? Um, mostly it's the, the, like, the idea first, so it'll be like, I want a Magidrati charm. I'm going to make it, and... Usually, um, when I do like other stuff, when I do cards, it's usually I'm gonna make a card. Oh God, what can I put on it? Um, but yeah, it's usually the inspiration first, mm -hmm. and then I figure out. Yeah. And are there certain video games that are better or worse inspirations? For example, Cross Stitch seems very pixelated. Yes. So I would think that a 8-bit game would fit well for that medium as opposed to something more modern. Is that true? Yeah, I definitely love doing pixel art um, for the cross stitch and also just even for the jewelry because I don't have to like, I don't have to trace it. I can just like, you know, put it on a grid, figure out exactly and like draw it out and then like color it in so it's a little more, it's definitely a lot easier. Cool. And what about you, Roberto? Are there certain video games that you think are better inspirations or certain genres, years? I think I just have to sort of educate myself like enough to be able to go, okay, I want to make a thing in that, you know, um, pool of, uh, whatever it is, whatever the medium is. So if I'm like, okay, let me learn more about pixel art before I kind of dabble into it. But for what I do, that would be way harder <laughs> to do on the, onto a pillow because of the angles and things like mm. that. Um, so if I did want to do something like that, I'd probably end up making like a t-shirt or something else and just sort of like, the pillow, if it's not, if it's too angular for what I do, I kind of stay away from it. Um, and since I pretty much just do pillows, <laughs> I have to think in that, in those, uh, constraints a lot. Right. So, wow, that, that's really fascinating that it's really just the opposite, that you're, it's not necessarily modern games are better than classic games, but the representation, like classic box art, for example, you might draw more inspiration from than classic screenshots. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. Cause, I don't want to compromise the aesthetic of what those things were represented by making it, you know, oh, that kind of looks like it, but it's all lumpy and not like formed properly. Mm -hmm. So, and sometimes you just have to be creative in your interpretations. Like Atari 2600 box art never looked like the game. Yeah, right. But it was the most amazing <laughs> box art. Right. Yeah. Cool. Well, what about you, Chris? Like when you're deciding what game should I put on a shirt next? Or you're like, that's not, that game is not going to be a good shirt. Yeah, each project's gonna, or each, each design's gonna be a little bit different. Um, uh, I struggled with the, the Metroid t-shirt for the longest time. It was one of my favorite games, but I wanted to make sure it was a good shirt in design as well. Um, and banging my head against it, and as an example, you know, I just couldn't figure out the design, and then, um, I figured out, well, what happens if, if I were to turn this, in, this video game and bring it into the real world? What, what way would I change it? And be like, oh, I would make a, you know, a danger sign because no one wants to be near the Metroid. So constantly, you know, sometimes I'll have to take a step back, breathe, and then let those things happen. But each, each project's going to be a little bit different. And then, um, just looking at it at a different angle can help. And, um, 
worst comes to worst, you just put it aside for a little while and jump onto something else. I, that's one of your shirts you're wearing now, right? Yeah. Got it on right now. Yeah. And w- is that a particular game? Is that the Metroid shirt? Yeah. So um, in a typical biohazard or hazard symbol is just the three circles. Um, took a step back, I realized, well, the Metroid does have those three cells or those three little spherical organs in the inside of it and just kind of ran with that. I assume you don't sell that as a biohazard shirt because then people would think it's Resident Evil. Exactly. (laughs) And Johanna, you're also wearing something you made, correct? Yes. Is that something that can be seen from the audience? A Sellers of Catan shirt, a skirt. That's fantastic. And how did you prototype that? Like when you decide, I do want to make something for Paxi, Settles of Catan is my inspiration. Did you just immediately go to your loom or whatever it is you use? The sewing machine? That too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Who has time for prototypes? (laughs) But like, what if, but what if you screw up? You need to know going in that you have some sort of a plan or a strategy, right? I know I know how to sew. And I know I know how to work my cutting machine and my heat press for the vinyl. So. Yeah. So you don't make mistakes, is what you're saying? Oh, no, I do sometimes. I just trust that it's not going to happen because I don't have time for that. <laughs> so what, you know, worst case scenario, in an alternate universe, if you had made a mistake making that skirt, what would you have done? Just like... Mm, made something else. <laughs> just started over? Yeah. Wow. What else could I do? I don't. What? That's why I'm asking you. <laughs> My goodness, Chris. How do you sketch? I mean, we saw a little bit of your sketchbook earlier. Uh, is that your first stop toward making a shirt into a reality? Oh yeah, it's usually typically paper and pencil. Go from there. It helps to have a grid for me, so usually work with that. Um, and uh, the Nintendo-inspired line that was very much about um, what's a. Uh, that image that everyone, everyone could relate to about the video game. And for Pokemon, it was, was the three starter Pokemon. Just then, um, went from there. So just putting them inside a Pokeball just seemed like a natural fit and kept going there. Nice. And once you are confident with your sketches, what digital medium do you transport that into? Do you use like Photoshop? Uh, so I'll scan my hand drawn sketches into, um, into Illustrator and I'll, I'll go from there. Uh, Illustrator is a vector-based software, so it makes sense to just go over there. And, and most uh, t-shirt companies, sticker companies, pin companies will work with Illustrator files to bring your work to life. Uh, and then before I actually kind of finalize, I make large prints of it off a printer or, you know, 8.5 by 11, whatever is convenient at the time, and then go from there. Because if you order a, you know, a pallet of shirts and they come in and you find that there's something wrong with them, you can't just pulp the whole run and start over. I, and, and proofreading. The moment I put words on a t-shirt, I start freaking out. I'm like, I misspelled one thing and I ordered a thousand of these t-shirts or something. And that tends to be a, a big fear of mine. But uh, a lot of proofreading and having other people take a look at the work too to get feedback helps. Have you had a, ever had an issue where the error was not yours but with the printers? Uh, no, uh, sometimes it'll just be the quality. Sometimes the inks aren't there. So um, you, you can address that with manufacturers or some um, whoever's helping you create that medium. But for the most part, luckily, knock on wood, I, I've been pretty fortunate to not have big mistakes happen. Awesome. And Roberto, you're in a similar boat where once you order that pillow, it better be right. So how? Do, what is the process from concept to production? Where, where do you prototype your ideas? I'm a lot like Gonzo. I start with pen and paper or pencil and paper. Um, 
I like to make what I call visual lists. So if I have a lot of ideas that I want to do, I'll end up making like a grid and then being like drawing like a crappy little sketch of each thing just so I can go, okay, that would look good as a collection. Those things don't work. And then, and then I pare it down and actually start sketching for real. Um, and I have to be very precise because I have, um, you know, measurements. So it's like, okay, this is this long. This is, you know, this is eight inches and whatnot. And um, sometimes I'll even do like paper. Um, well, I'll take pa basically like wadded up paper and try to get an idea of like how big is this going to look and like put tape around it and like put it on the couch and step away and be like, yeah, I think it's big enough, but it needs to be a little bit bigger. So I need to see it in three dimensions to be able to go, okay, this is going to work. Um, I did that for the Iconic Pillow Collection. I have a bunch of, like, wadded up paper bags and stuff to figure out, like, what that was going to look like. Um, and then if I have sketches, I'll usually um, actually just start all over and do it in Photoshop and actually get real measurements down. Then I send those to my factory, and then we take it from there to actually make the prototype pillows. Um, when I started, I would do the whole process because I would actually sew everything myself. But now I pretty much design them and then they get made into three dimensional pillows. And then I have to approve, you know, each step along the way. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a long process, but, um, you have to be just very like meticulous and not let up for your quality because that's, what you have to live by, <laughs> you know, for everything. So that Apple II pillow that I just got in the mail, mm -hmm. you pretty much already had that design, of course, by the time you went to Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. So from the very concept through the Kickstarter, through me receiving it in my hands, mm -hmm. how long was that? Uh, Ten months I was working on the whole thing um, from, you know, just the idea to actually making them, making them. Um, I, like I said, I, I kind of figured out what they were going to look like. Um, I looked at the old products. I, I found like any old, any photographs that I could reference to see every angle because I don't have half of those things, you know, the real products. Um, Do you need an Apple too? <laughs> I can hook you up. Are you going to hook me up? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Call uh, me. Okay. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I didn't have anything like that, but I just, I, I found a lot of archival photos because every one of those that you see have um, detail on every side. So like, you know, you have one, you can see the bottom is, you know, different than the sides and whatnot. So, um, yeah, 10 months, uh, all of those that you're seeing there that were marketed on Kickstarter, those were one of a kind. And then, you know, in the event that we got funded, which we did, we we're going to produce all of them. So it's sort of like smoke and mirrors, like, oh yeah, we have this. It's like, we have one. You know? <laughs> Now, fortunately, Adriat, I presume that the stakes are a little bit lower for you. You're not raising oh, yeah. tens of thousands of dollars. So if you make a mistake, you can probably just start over and be, deal with the frustration. For the most part, yes. I mean, my if it's a card or something, I'm going to... I put a lot of work into those, and I would probably cry first. If it's jewelry, then okay. Like, sometimes it just doesn't, like, shrink properly, or it just doesn't come out, or, like... I definitely have, yeah, but the material is so cheap and it takes like half an hour. That's not a deal. And for the, for, for your creations, Adri, are you conceiving of those originally or are you like looking online for templates, ideas, things that other people have done that you can easily replicate? Uh, there's a combination. Um, if it's a video game thing, then I'm probably working from like, you know, I'm Googling. Well, I mean, I'm always Googling for images. Like even if it's, I'm making like, um, one of my pieces is like a dragon card, which I should have included because D&D. Um, I basically just looked at a lot of like, I didn't include it, sorry. Not that one. Oh, I know, but it's, okay. it's close. Um, 
you know, I will do a lot of Googling, get some inspiration, try to figure out what will lend itself well. Um, yeah, and then I'll freehand what I can sometimes, but, and then if I like that, I definitely can't reproduce. If I draw something, I can't draw it again. It's just like, it's a, it's a, I'm not a good drawer. Huh. So it's just like a freak accident that it came out well. So I'll usually scan that and then print it in whatever size I need. Huh. So. so everything you make is unique. Yes. Cool. Uh, Johanna, I know with quilting, there are very often, uh, patterns that you can download. Is that right? There are, but they're typically like the, like more Amish quilt patterns you see, where it's repetitive blocks, like star blocks and log cabin blocks, things like that. Uh, for doing something like the Monopoly quilt, I just took a ruler and the Monopoly board and made it 16 times the size of an actual board. That's easy That's, enough. Yeah. And you brought a quilt with you today, didn't you? I have the Monopoly quilt down here. Oh, can we see that? 16 times bigger. <clears throat> have you ever actually played Monopoly on it? Once. <laughs> yeah, you might have been there. Maybe? It, maybe? it was in the apartment on Hackfeld. <laughs> We sat in the middle of it and played. Oh, look at that. Wow, that is massive. It's dingy because my kids use it every day and it's 20 years old. But I wasn't thinking when I made something white. And you probably weren't thinking that you'd be showing off at PAX 20 years later. I did not know what PAX was then, no. (laughs) I don't think PAX existed 20 years ago. So we we talked about, you know, if you make a mistake, you can, you know, either proofread it or you just get over it. Have you ever made a piece of art that didn't come out as well as you hoped? Like, there were no mistakes, but you're like, oh, you know, in my head that looked so much cooler. And if that happened, how how did you deal with that? Uh, Chris? I'm sorry, Gonzo? Yeah, I guess that's, um, well, I start everything on a, in a little sketchbook um, to just get ideas out of my head to begin with and see how it looks on paper. Uh, yeah, it usually doesn't end up the way I originally thought or the, ori- the way I originally imagined. Um, I remember doing the Street Fighter t-shirt, um, design it took one of the longest because it was a constant battle of like, that's not exactly what I was looking for. I was trying to convey, you know, going to a tournament, but it, nothing was hitting and, um, had to leave it to the side, work on other things, just get the creative juices in another area focused on another thing. Um, but there, yeah, there are times where I just abandon designs altogether. Just like, it's not working right now. Just leave it aside and just don't beat yourself up for it. Just kind of, it's okay. Let yourself breathe for a little while there and then um, maybe just go play a video game. Because <laughs> yeah. I, I imagine that sometimes you might, you might be like, okay, that didn't turn out as well. You know, that is a good interpretation. On the other extreme, you might think that thing is a failure. And it yeah, might yeah. be difficult to divorce the idea from your creation being a failure and yourself being a failure. Exactly. You know, you just have to keep making more things. Yeah. And then it's, while failure can be seen as a, a bad word, um, in all, all honesty, you, you need to do bad things sometimes. You need to fail sometimes because at the end of the day, you just try to regain your strength, stand back, you know, get back up and say, well, I learned something from this and let's keep moving. Mm. Yeah, because the the taste you have that allows you to discern what you whether what you've made is good or not is the taste that allows you to create great things, and that's what sets you apart from a bad artist. A bad artist might create something bad and not know it, <laughs> right? I, I hope that I can realize when I've done something really bad. I, I, <laughs> well, what about you, Joe? Um, have you ever made something that didn't turn out quite as well as you hoped? Actually, that Triforce necklace that you commissioned. What? It drove me nuts that I couldn't get the points closer. 
because it wasn't, it, it, I didn't like the spacing on it. But uh, when I did that, I was actually learning the technique. I was working with um, a metalsmith as an apprentice one night a week after work. And so, and she was a super geek too. So she got really excited about the prospect of this necklace. And we like worked and tried to figure out the best way to get those settings closer so that it would be like a true Triforce and just with them being open to start and then having to close them on the stone. There was no way we could figure out how to do it. So the way that you dealt with your failure was to sell it to me. Exactly. <laughs> it's it's not a total failure if I still get your money. <laughs> Moving on. I hope you'll still be my friend. We'll see about that. <laughs> Adri, how, how do you deal with the emotional component of things not working out the way you hoped? Um, it depends on the project. Um, I, so not included in our pictures are the fact that I used to try to make um, like stencil t-shirts. I actually have a net hack one, which came out really well. But I tried to do um, one for um, my video game, um, Discover the World. And it just, it even came out fine. But or I, there, I did it like five or six times. I went through like a whole bunch of t-shirts, a lot of paint, and finally got one. And then um, it just didn't look like it on me, because it stretched and looked terrible. And that was kind of like, I spent so much time and like, kind of a lot of money, like, trying to work this out, and, like, so that was kind of crushing, but I just haven't tried since. That was sort of my, my that was my, my, um, Lord. my reaction was to just not, just give up. Okay, I mean, and that, and that can be valid, but you have other creative outlets, so it's not like yeah. you gave up on art. Right, yeah. You're just like, okay, maybe that's not my strength, let's focus on something that yeah. is. That's, that's valid, you know, because you can't do, well, most people can't do everything, <laughs> but, you know, you can certainly try. And R Roberto, you, I mean, f pillows, when they don't work out, do you just have a giant pillow fight? <laughs> <laughs> they always work out, Ken. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I definitely had some ones that mentally I'm like, oh, yeah, that was a dud. Like, I didn't like that one. Didn't come out right, whatever. But I think over time, I realized my best asset and any creator's best asset is just your creative mind. You know, that's what's going to get you out of any hole. That's what's going to get you going. Um, you know, trying to feed something that maybe you made something that was a hit that you don't even like anymore. Like, you shouldn't just, like, perpetuate and keep doing it and doing it and doing it. And, like, it just sort of kills your soul. And if you're a creative person, you need to keep that, like, super protected. You need to always have those ideas, like, buzzing. Um, so, yeah, I've had some ones in the last couple years that I didn't like. But you just move on and liquidate them and just like put them on sale and just keep going and don't let it, don't let your customers know that you think that they weren't that good because <laughs> you know, you don't want them to think they bought something that you think sucked. Um, but it's just part of business. You, not everything is going to sell well, you know, not everything's going to hit well. Um, but I think when you go into it and you're making them like one by one, you want every single thing to sell well and, I've been there too, but, uh, you know, you get cuts and bruises and you keep going. <laughs> yeah, there's this YouTube artist named Jonathan Mann, Song a Day Man. He record, he composes and records an original song every single day, 365 days a year. I think he once estimated that 60% of his songs are okay, 20% are utter crap, and 20% <laughs> are amazing. You know, and he's aiming for that 20%. That's what keeps him going. Yeah. Yeah. So the, I have a question about, sales and copyright mm -hmm. because 
when you're creating something for yourself, for your house, for your children, you don't have to worry about that. Sometimes you are monetizing it. Sometimes you're running a Kickstarter or running an online store or selling it to the person sitting next to you. And you have to think about, you know, <laughs> this is a Metroid shirt. Metroid is very heavily copyrighted by Nintendo and they will come down on you. Apple. Apple is another big entity you don't want to mess with. And here you are selling pillows that look like a fruit computer. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> how do you work around that? Let's start with Gonzo. Oh, yeah. Uh, before I really went in, I, I did a lot of research and asked a lot of questions on forums of exactly how far could I go and what could I, what boundaries could I push? Um, I couldn't use any names even mentioned in video games type of thing. So I kind of sneaked one away with the Oak Labs, but, um, uh, it's, that's where I kind of found inspiration too. I, I found what my limits were and I had to work around it. So, um, you know, especially for the Zelda shirt, while it looks kind of close to, you know, the Hyrule shield and everything we've seen in the video games, it's my own interpretation of it. I sat there and I sketched everything out and found something that I, I, I wanted to have my twist, my flavor on that. Uh, and, f uh, for the street fighter one that I did, the uh, world warrior, as I called it, um, just thought of a poster and how, how would I get other quote unquote fighters to come and, and, and be a part of this tournament and just, um, tantalize them with this idea of you're going to go to Brazil to have a fight and, you know, <laughs> you're going to have to take down these four legends and just go from there. And, uh, it, it was a, a lot, a lot of research at the beginning, finding out, you know, like, well, it's a bummer. I can't use exactly what I want. Just use that to your advantage and, and, um, Make sure whatever you're creating, everyone can still relate to that and understand it's coming from a video that, from that game. So your online store doesn't say Street Fighter shirt. No, this is for a World Warrior T-shirt. So, gotcha. and does that impact search engine optimization? Do people make it harder to find your shirt? No, I mean, but I still put tags. Uh, the, the, the tags are still going to be there for Street Fighter when you're searching for stuff. Um, but um, the actual. Uh, even on the page, though, it say it, it will say inspired by the Street Fighter series, inspired by the Metroid series, uh, but everything is original, hand drawn, and on my own. Cool. Thank you. What about you, Johanna? I know once upon a time you had a Facebook page where you were making jewelry and accepting commissions. Did you have to think about copyright? Uh, so back when I had my jewelry business, I did think about that. So really the only game-inspired pieces I did that I was trying to sell were just using game pieces. I had things with dice and Scrabble tiles and trying to stay away from anything that had any major trademark on it. Um, yeah, I saved that for selling to you. So the individual pieces, like the Triforce piece, that was a commission. You never had to put up on your store and say, Legend of Zelda necklace, here you go. Right, it wasn't public, so I figured it was pretty safe. All under the table. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and the you had the Scrabble earrings that I pulled up earlier. Mm -hmm. I mean, those are very clearly not just inspired by Scrabble. They are an actual element from the board game that you are reselling. Does that does copyright come into play when you're actually reappropriating assets like that? It might have been flirting with the edge of what's safe and not for copyright law but if i my jewelry business was ever big enough that scrabble would have noticed me i'd still be doing it <laughs> because i presume that these are not you duplicating scrabble pieces you actually bought the scrabble pieces and are just reselling them oh yeah i went to a yard sale and bought scrabble games yeah, yeah so that should be fine just like you can buy a, a game at a GameStop, and when you're done playing it you resell it although certain publishers wouldn't want you to do that either but. right cool what about you, Adrian? Do you sell your pieces? I do not. Um, partly just because I want everything to... I make most things either for myself or as a gift. So I want them to be unique. 
Um, I mean, I'm open to commissions, but that would still just be a one-off. It would never be like a mass-produced sort of thing. So you're not going to like turn your entire second bedroom into a production facility with boxes of sec to the ceiling? God, no. <laughs> you don't see any fun in that? <laughs> I'm sure the post office would love you. So, uh, Roberto, so as I mentioned, these are pillows inspired by classic computers mm -hmm. and game consoles. How do you, wor how much do you worry about copyright? I try to do my research, like, usually I kind of see what's out there, you know, it's like for this, for example, this pillow in front of me, I don't know if you can see it in the back, but, um, I looked into it and I'm like, okay, there's a lot of people making like generic controllers, so, the design is not seeming to be like a problem for people to be using. Like you can get a shirt that looks like that and it says like kicking it old school or something, but it's not licensed at all, you know? So I try to do my research and just in terms of where I want to go. I don't, I don't get like really overt within like a take a character and make it because that's obviously like a licensed thing. Um, and then as far as the other stuff, like the, the computer pillows that you were showing earlier, um, I just, was thinking that these are so like non-relevant right now that I don't think that they're really going to care. So sometimes I do take risks and especially like if I did a Kickstarter, I was like, what's the worst that can happen? They, I can get a cease and desist and I'll be like, all right, I won't do it. You know? So I, I kind of put it out there. I try it. Um, and so far it's been totally fine. I don't focus my whole company on those things. Um, so I don't know. That's kind of how I feel. I, I'm, I'm more like try it and then, you know, see if they, if you get in trouble. <laughs> like if you do, then okay. But, um, but no, I still don't put names. I don't say like, this is an Apple pillow, you know, because that's just dumb. <laughs> like you shouldn't do that if that's what you're trying to do. You can definitely take inspiration from things without it being like so overtly like you're trying to claim this is a, you know, licensed product. Um, that's how I roll. So I, I have already forgotten, even though I backed the Kickstarter, did you use the capital A word anywhere in that Kickstarter? I did not, no. Uh, and some blogs that covered it were like, he was very careful about never saying that. And um, yeah, I mean, you can do, I'm not the only person that's ever done this kind of stuff. There's whole companies that make, you know, inspired by such and such. There's a company out of Boston called Johnny Cupcakes, and it's completely like that. It's just appropriating something out of pop culture and like, turning it into their own logo and it is a you know it is a method of turning something uh in you know like inspired by something into a new product and so like i said i look around and go okay i guess they're doing it i'll try it you know like because the, the, there's a lot that you have to be to get on somebody's radar to make you be like oh we're gonna shut this down you know yeah. So if Apple listens to the audio of this podcast, uh, this show, you're, you're done. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. It's been nice knowing you. Yeah. Feed over right now. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Very much so. So let's see. I have a question about how much time and effort it takes to make these things. My friend Terry Ann recently made a quilt and she spent so many hours creating it that she realized her time was so valuable, she'd have to sell the quilt for like $500. And nobody wanted to spend that much. And she couldn't just part with it for less than that. And after spending so much time creating it, she was okay keeping it herself. So how do you decide, after creating something, whether or not to let it go? Joe? Uh, well, at this point, pretty much everything I create is, you know, for myself to keep or for my kids or for a gift or something. So I already know going in 
on what I'm making, whether it's staying or going. Um, back when I did jewelry and attempted to make money with it, uh, for the most part, I would make things that I was planning to sell, and you know, a lot of them are still in my jewelry closet now because I did, they didn't sell, and so I wear them. But for the most part, I know going in what my plan is. And even though you've prior, you previously made that decision, do you get to the end and find, oh, this is going to be harder than I thought? Oh, yeah, that happens sometimes. Um, I'm like, classic me move to like underestimate how long something is going to take. Um, so yeah, there were, I think some of the pieces I made, especially ones that were, took a lot of wire work and things like that didn't sell because I had to price them so high just to cover the time that went in. Have you ever priced it so high because you didn't want to sell it? No. I have been secretly happy when things didn't sell, but I never like you've purposely never, did that. You've never sabotaged yourself. If I was going to do that, why bother even putting it out? I would just keep it if I thought it wouldn't sell anyway. Sure. Adri? Um, pretty much the same thing she said. She? Is that okay? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I make everything. I know where it's going to go already. So if it's a gift, I mean, I, I love my friends. I want them to have something nice. So it doesn't really matter how much time I put into it or... Oh. And I'm not pricing it for anyone else, so it's not a big deal. And since it's a gift, it may be more meaningful the more time you put into yeah. it. That's was like, oh, here's something I whipped together for five minutes. Here you go. Mm -hmm. Nice. <laughs> and I presume it's just the opposite with Roberto and Gonzo, where you are mass producing these things. So if they all go out the door, you still have one for yourself. You'd never want to hold on to all 10,000 of them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, and that if I, if I have that many, they're going on sale pretty quick. Yeah. <laughs> Fire sale. Everything must go. No, same thing over here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the time I kind of just start learning how to manage the time better in terms of like, you know, how is it going to go from idea to product? sort of have a calendar idea of like, oh, this will take like a three-month period or whatever. Um, but yeah, then when they get put into the sort of the mass production cycle, you just have them being made. Um, but for the first, I don't know, four or five years when I was literally cutting, sewing and stuffing and packaging and sending everything myself, I wasn't tracking my time at all. People would be like, oh, how long does it take you to make a pillow? I'm like, I don't know, like an hour, two hours. Like, I don't know. It probably took a long time. I did it in assembly line fashion. Um, but I think I sort of excuse it by saying, well, I'm building out my brand, you know, over this time period instead of being like, this is how much each time, each task takes. So there is sort of like, you can, you can excuse it for that, you know. Yeah, no, I would say no matter what your day job is, even in that environment, you should always be tracking your time so that you know what tasks take a lot of time, what clients take a lot of time, and that way you can build appropriately. Mm -hmm. so that's very important. So I, I, you've talked about some of the challenges, the struggles, the opportunities, and the considerations that you have to make. I start off by saying that I don't have these talents or these experiences. What advice would you give to somebody like me who wants to get into an art or a craft, and which one would you recommend they start with, and how do they start there? Adri? Oh, gosh. Um, me, me no, out. it's fine. Okay. Um, I guess it really just depends on your interests. Um, like, I would say cross, anyone could cross-stitch, probably. I mean, and that's pretty easy. You get a pattern, and it's time-consuming, though, but it's probably a good place to start. Um, I can't. I'm, like, the only person I know who can't knit or crochet, so I'm not going to suggest. I just I can't. I just can't. <laughs> I've tried, um, but I think other people would probably be like, start here, because that's also a good place to start. Um, 
yeah, look at tutorials online, look at examples of things you like. Hmm. Sort of thing. I, I was given a crochet kit for Christmas one year, and there actually is a place in my town that will teach you how to sew, which mm-hmm. I realize is not crochet, but still yeah. a valuable skill to have. Yeah. Uh, do you re- so there are online tutorials and there are offline classes as well. Yeah, sure. Cool. Uh, Gonzo, what would you recommend for somebody who wants to get crafty? Um, find out which medium helps or is easy, not necessarily easiest, but that you enjoy working with too, you know? Um, I've always loved coloring and drawing from a young age. So if that's what you're into, I mean, if you're into Legos and you love building things, maybe, maybe you get into crafting with, and you, you know, you watch carpentry videos and things like that. So whatever you enjoy working with your hands or on a computer, um, start with that and then what you enjoy about that video game, what you enjoy about that experience of that story and then see, you know, it's, it's going to take a lot of, uh, you know, uh, practice and failure along the way, but that's, that's part of it. And you're going to want to have, you're going to have to enjoy that part of it as well. The highs and the lows when you're doing this. You know, it resonated when you said Legos, cause I love Legos <laughs> and my friend Maya loves Legos and she makes custom miniature figures of famous scientists <laughs> and then gives them to the scientists. That's incredible. And she actually got a kit accepted by Lego. And now the women of NASA is an actual Lego oh, kit. That's amazing. Wow. That's wow. awesome. So you never know what stars you might reach. Uh, Joe, where would you recommend I start? Uh, with something you love. I mean, it's easier to put in the time and effort for something if it's something you're really interested in. Um, so, you know, pick something that interests you and then look at what kind of crafts might apply to that. Also, don't be afraid of it. Like, you know, if you want to paint a mural, like a, you know, like we had my, uh, my son's room up with the Mario level room. Um, it's just paint. Like, if you screw it up, then you paint over it. Like <laughs> most of the things you could try craft wise aren't permanent. You know, it's not going to end the world if you make a mistake. Yeah. So you're suggesting I not start with tattoos. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not a good plan. Good. Well, at least not on myself. Okay. Uh, Roberta, where, where would I, where should I start? Should I start making pillows? Tattoos, actually. <laughs> um, I think I was going to echo what Joe said. Yeah, I think you need to pare it down to be what you really want to make. Be very specific. You know, if you want to make whatever, Pokeball or something, just be very specific and then start figuring out what medium you want to make it in. Um, That certainly helped me. Um, If I would have just sort of picked too broad of a thing, I think it would have probably psyched me out, you know? So see something online that you want, maybe go on Etsy and see what people are doing to kind of get, you know, your brain going. Um, and then as far as reverse engineering, how they did it, just YouTube it and see what people are doing, how they did it. Cool. I mean, just like YouTube can be a form of community, so can offline communities. My co-working space where I spend my day job hours has a monthly craft night and I would crochet there. And then they stopped hosting that night and I stopped crocheting because I had nobody egging me on to, you know, to keep me honest. Mm. So I would certainly recommend finding somebody you can do it with and perhaps even learn from That's because the crochet night that I went to, they were all very patient with me and they were like, let me get that pearl started for you and then hand it over to me. I'm like, okay, now you do the easy part. And once you've mastered that, I'll show you what I did. So then you can do it on yourself. Yeah. Thank you. So I do want to spend the next 10 minutes with Q and a, instead of having people line up, I'm going to walk around with this mic. And so if you have a question, just raise your hand. Thank you also for Helene and Jesse who asked questions over Twitter. So if anybody has a question, who has a question? Any, any questions? 
Yeah, there's one. Why don't you come to you? Hello, I'll hold it for you. So I have a question regarding the design of t-shirts. I was planning to have some shirts made with uh, a sublimation. I was just wondering what kind of design considerations do you need to have because of the of the shirt and stuff like that. Yeah, some things to keep in mind is the size of shirts, um, but other other times it's uh, knowing how the colors are going to go on the shirts as well. Uh, if you're looking to blend colors or, or something along those lines, it's a very uh, it's a little more involved in how you create your screens. So for myself, when I'm making these T-shirts. Um, we have to break everything down by color, and that also can affect price and uh, of making the shirts. So, um, number of colors, size of the size of the design itself. Um, some manufacturers or some uh, t-shirt producers will let you know if you're bigger than 12 inches by 18 inches, it's an added charge as well. So that's something you have to keep in mind. Um, Ideal, you know, I, I there's a lot of talking with the people making the shirts and the creation of the shirts. I'm, you know, what my limits are, what's going to cost me a little bit more. And then, you know, it's, it's a little give and take of that with your design. While, you know, you want to give the best design you can, just understand that there might be benefits or, you know, um, negatives to going bigger and things like that. Uh, cool. So let me see if anybody else has a question. Hands, hands. Yeah. Okay. So here, take one of these cards. And on the back is a Steam code. You just won a game. Thank you. <laughs> and back here, we have another question. Hi. Um, what do you do when inspiration fails you? Like, you see something you want to do, but then you just can't think of anything to do it with. That's a, that's a good one. A slight, slight switch on what we previously discussed. Go for that. Go. <laughs> uh, I have no problem having to step away from something. While it does hurt to sit there and say, you know, I spent a lot of time just sketching over and over and over again. Um, there are times where you got to let yourself take a breath and understand. You got to step back and say, hey, I tried. That's what's really important right now. I'm going to learn something from this. I need to step away. Um, sometimes that spark will happen later, but I, I, I can't emphasize enough being able to step back and let yourself compose yourself and understand that it's like everyone said before it's, it's not the end of the world it's okay just give yourself some time to relax and breathe and hopefully it comes to you i try to show it to people too like a close circle of people that will have helpful feedback that don't aren't just going to be like that ah, that's awesome you know and then i get led down the wrong path but i think ultimately you do have to listen to your own voice because if you're doing something cool, it's probably a little crazy and weird, you know? So you have to sort of just follow it. Um, but yeah, sometimes I'll just show it to a few people and some people you have to find the right tribe that's going to actually tell you that, Oh no, that's not really that cool, you know, <laughs> and not take it personally and just go, okay, well, either I feel really good about it and I have a gut feeling that I'm going to try it or I'm going to, and it fails, then it fails. You know, you have to be comfortable with that side of it. All right. I, I have a card. Thank you. I actually have a one related question, which is, is it legitimate, in your opinion, to look at what other people have done for ideas and inspiration, or is that stealing? Oh, I absolutely. If there's something I want to do, like, I will check Etsy 
like, first, just to get an idea of, like, whether it's doable. Especially if I'm doing, like, a lot of, like, cutting work, like, for paper, I will definitely, like, just take a, I mean, most of what I do, I can't really find that, but I can get the idea of, like, what would be a good shape. And I did, I definitely, like, take a look and see what's available and what to avoid because maybe somebody else has done it or, yeah. Is that true for you as well, Joe? Um, I will definitely take inspiration from things I've seen. Um, like my latest obsession crafting wise is my cutting machine and using my heat press with the vinyl and making shirts and things like that. And, uh, so friends have figured out that I like doing these things. So they'll find like a meme on Facebook and send it to me and say, Hey, I want this on a shirt. And so I'll take that wording and then, you know, lay it out and pick a font and, you know, put a design spin on it. But take the wording that they thought was hilarious and make a shirt out of it. Cool. Thank you. I saw one more hand, and this will be our last question. Hi. Kind of almost asked the question. Um, building off that exact same question, do you ever get discouraged when you see that someone has done something that you thought was really cool and original, and you're like, oh, like five other people have already done it? Good Sometimes question. I do. <laughs> yeah, I definitely have had things that... Um, or in my head, or I'll talk to somebody about maybe like my brother or something, and then wake up one morning and it's all like basically the same ideas on a blog, and I'm like, ah, like <laughs> I guess I waited too long. But he encouraged me. He's like, yeah, but you're gonna do it your own way. You're gonna do it better. So don't even worry about that. Because there's, I mean, there's a million shoe companies. It doesn't mean there has to be one shoe company. You know, there's varying degrees of quality for everything and brands and whatever. So I don't try to take it too hard because not every idea, I mean, there's like no ideas original. So, you know, you can keep going and make it your own way. Um, that's how I feel. Also, with the, oh, sorry. Joe. Thanks. Um, with that, you can take it as validation that like, hey, this, you know, is actually a good idea. Other people thought this was decent. This is, you know, the thing I thought of wasn't crap. <laughs> Yeah, uh, since I don't sell, it's not really a problem. It's just, it basically just comes down to that point, like, the time and effort I put into it is that compared to what they're selling it for, would I rather support them or make it myself is basically at that point what it comes down to. Uh, one of my challenges is having reasonable expectations for myself. So I went to one of those paint nights, and, you know, half the fun of that is you get drunk. Uh, but I don't drink, so I was very sober and aware of how bad my painting was. And I, I, I'm like, how come all these drunk people are painting better than me? I hate this. I, I suck at this. I don't ever want to do this again. But I nonetheless have this TARDIS spinning through space that I painted that's hanging on my wall. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe it's not great, but I made it. And I was sober. <laughs> and that's not something anybody else can say. So it's mine. So that brings us to the end of our panel. I want to give all our panelists one more opportunity to remind you who they are and where to find them online. Roberto? Uh, yeah, I, my name is Roberto Oyos. You can find my, everything I do at throwboy.com, and you can listen to my podcast on Apple Podcasts, That Thing You Made. Um, I'm Adri. Um, I'm on Twitter as Generic Geek Girl. Uh, if you want to see like more of my non-game stuff or other, um, just ping me on Twitter, and I have a link. Uh, I'm Johanna Shaw. You can find pictures of my kids wearing things I made for them on Facebook. Uh, I have a Twitter handle, but I almost never use it. Uh, Christopher Gonzo Gonzalez, uh, Instagram and Twitter. You can find me at dapperpixel.com. And if you go to Big Cartel, just look up Dapper, Dapper Pixel and you'll be able to find my shirts on there as well. 
Cool. My name is Ken Gagney. You can find me on Twitter at GameBits. Some of our panelists brought some of their arts and crafts to show off. So if you want to get a closer look at their work, feel free to meet them in here or in the hallway afterward. Thank you so much for your time and enjoy the rest of your packs. Thank you, guys. This has been Polygamer, a GameBits production. Find more episodes, read our blog, or send feedback at polygamer.net. 